Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, I'm coach, and this is episode 80. 80 episodes. Still can't believe it. But thank you to all of you that have listened to so many of the episodes. And if you're new to the Weekly Word Podcast, welcome. I hope you enjoy some of the training insights and tidbits and knowledge that I try to share, but also answer questions that many of the athletes have that they send me, and that is my athletes in this case. Um, I coach about 50-ish athletes at one time, so out of those 50 athletes and the probably 20 to 30 workouts they do each week. It's not 20 to 30 hours, but 20 to 30 workouts because um, some of them are doubles and triples and some of them are strength and core and shorter ones and longer ones and short runs off the bike. Um, Maybe not 30, but 20. Um, That's a lot of updates and a lot of training log input and a lot of questions and insights and observations that they make. And so this podcast goes into many of the things my athletes are observing and many of the questions they may have or many of the emails I receive on thoughts they may have or things they don't understand about the coaching or why we're doing what we're doing. And from that, I make a lot of notes with regards to, hmm, I bet you a larger group, a larger audience would appreciate what I'm explaining here. Combine that with some emails I receive from listeners that even the many that I don't coach. And from that, we get a pretty good podcast going here with just some straight up information, tips, insights, and mindset with regards to ultra endurance events. No, this isn't um, a podcast designed to help you run your fastest 10K. Um, It's also not a podcast to help you um, qualify for Kona. It's a podcast about helping you achieve maximum results in your limited training time. It's a podcast about helping you develop into the best possible ultra endurance athlete, endurance athlete, whatever that is, and develop into that person, into that athlete, excuse me, not person, um, in a healthy way, balancing family, balancing career, balancing your social life and kids' activities and so forth, and how to still maximize that remaining time that you have to yourself every day in prep for your own goals and for your own desired outcomes, and quite honestly, for your your own daily self-care. It's your time every day to do a little bit of training and take you along the path of ultra endurance training as well as along the path and the journey towards your adventure, towards your event, towards your expedition even that you signed up for and are looking to successfully complete. And the big thing there too is I want you finishing your event. That's my job as a coach, motivated and enjoying it and um, with a smile on your face versus miserable, broken down, negative emotions, beat up, shelled, right? I want you to thrive, not just survive your events. And so this podcast is here to help you understand it better, know why you, what you're doing better, learn from the many athletes' questions and tips and things that I prescribe to my athletes so that you can maybe... Um, 
apply it in some fashion for yourself so that you can thrive and not just survive your event. I definitely want you all at least to complete the event, but doing it in an enjoyable way means you're coming back. You're going to stay in this world of health and fitness and endurance events and that lifestyle of training and being fitter and being smarter about your body and understanding it better and staying injury free and all those amazing outcomes that I believe everybody can have. I've talked about this so many times for 80 episodes already that we can all be athletes. It's just a mindset. It's just a daily approach. It's a daily belief. It's paying attention. It's training versus exercising. It's deliberate practice. It's maximizing limited training time. It's all those things. And anyone can do that. I'm sorry, no matter how busy you are, 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, taking a certain approach to our daily structure and life in order to carve out some personal time with regards to training, with regards to health and fitness, with regards to nutrition, with regards to mindset, it's very important. It's going to make you a better person, a better employee, a better manager, a better father, a better coach for your little league team. It's going to make you a better all-around person if you take care of yourself a little bit every day. And in my belief and my whole approach to it all is you're a better person every day by taking care of yourself with a little bit of aerobic activity. Not always um, all out and high intensity work because you can't sustain that every single day. But you can sustain something aerobic, something healthy every day and watching the long-term effects take shape and show results and achieve some incredible outcomes when it comes to running that marathon, that 50K, that 50 mile, that 100 mile, when it comes to doing that half Ironman or Ironman or Ultraman, when it comes to doing your first open water 5K swim, one mile swim, 10K swim, when it comes to any type of adventure there is out there. If it's ultra endurance or endurance and we want to do it, let's get after it. Let's do it. Let's, I mean, you only live this life once, right? And having a fear of not achieving is worse than achieving or failing in your attempt to achieve. We don't want fear. We want thrive, not survive. So long intro as always. But yeah, that's the, that's the weekly word podcast. Welcome and welcome back. And here we are. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the drink your drink and eat your food, um, sort of why I've come about that and where that comes from crediting the proper person. I'm going to talk a little bit about the changes in my Attilo prep and what I did this past weekend with my partner in um, prepping for the swim run world championships in a few weeks. I'm going to talk about my lack of swimming podcast and what's missing there. We're going to talk a little bit about deliberate training versus RBE training, and I'll describe a little bit more about that in that piece of the podcast on the topic. And in general, we're going to talk about visions and habits and best possible outcomes given our limited training time. So that's episode 80 on the Weekly Word podcast. 
I am quite often stunned by the two opposite ends of the spectrum that athletes go about racing. And what that means is on the one end of the spectrum are athletes that are highly prepared, but prepared almost in that they're overthinking the details. And when things don't go according to those detailed plans, the race could has a tendency to quickly fall apart. Whether the wattages aren't being held, the paces aren't being able to be run, or the sensations just aren't there, the triggers quickly derail our potential performance and either bad decisions start getting made, the effort level gets dropped off, and we seem to think, or those athletes seem to think, that they're just not having their day. Um, again, it's the best part about ultra endurance and endurance events is that you have time and real estate to still allow your day to unfold and to still settle into a result that is way better than you might have expected. Again, it's a big, big component for many of these athletes with regards to not allowing their body to tell their mind how the day will go as well as at times for the mind not to tell the body how the day will go. It's a delicate balance between the two. I'm not a big believer in just saying mind over matter, mind over body, because there's times and a lot of times, especially in the length of the distance that we're doing, it's not a sprint, it's not a 30 second, two minute, four minute event where we can ignore the body signals Due to the length of the event, we need to listen to the body a lot. And a lot of times the body will tell us things <clears throat> that might want to also derail what we're capable of. And so that balance between mind and body is critical. And we need to train that and practice that all the time in our training and simulations and so forth knowing when to listen to the body, knowing what the body is telling us, knowing what the feelings and sensations that the body is, is telling us, um, how they relate to the effort or the discipline or the distance still remaining of what we're doing. Now, of course, there's many, many times where it's mind over body, where despite our fears and our concerns and our sensations and our fatigue, we are capable of so much more and we can't let the voices in our head, in this case, tell us, oh, slow down. Oh, it's not working. Oh, I must be getting injured. Oh, it's just not there today. So again, there's a delicate balance between the two. So the one end of the spectrum, as I was saying, is overthinking, overanalyzing too many numbers and not allowing the body to just race, to go on feel, to go on joy, to go on curiosity, to go on um, fearlessness of pushing through that, uh, those, those sensations and discovering that there's way more that we're capable of. Um, a lot of that is fear of failure with regards to the details and seeing that it's just not there and not wanting to be disappointed. And that fear of failure is tied into ego, which ties into um, it validating or being a big expression of who we are with this sport and with any sport. 
or any achievement or any type of project or desired outcome. But beyond the strength of ego and beyond the strength of self, how we view ourselves doing the sport, is a whole nother um, a huge reservoir of um, ability, of strength, of energy, of courage um, that is for most athletes, I would say 99% of athletes, even world-class elite athletes is untapped because once you put that aside, there is so much more in our true um, deep raw power that we can overcome in order to express that fitness, express our ability, express our strength and confidence. And uh, it definitely does tie into um, some of the concepts with regards to central governor, as well as, um, you know, the, the, the cliche, I will say, of, you know, a, a mom lifting a car off her baby, um, you know, again, <laughs> cliche example, but that's what I'm talking about, about a reservoir of energy, power, will, confidence, strength, um, that is beyond ourself, beyond our ego. And that space, that door, that ability to tap into that is very, very difficult, but it does take practice. So anyway, far end of the spectrum, too many details, too um, locked into our numbers, too locked into what it should give us. On the other end of that spectrum are athletes who just don't pay attention at all. Um, and while they are beginners, and uh, no, not necessarily always beginners, that's not true. Um, there is just a disconnect with a desire to pay attention, to think it through, to envision your day, to have a plan, to um, thinking through what we will do in order to have the best possible outcome with regards to fuel and hydration, but also with regards to sensations and how we view ourselves moving across the terrain of the distance. And the better we can visualize that, internalize that, understand that, the better the day will unfold, right? Envisioning something almost puts us into that place and the outcome and the journey that the race day will be the event day even. And therefore, when things do arise and things do come up, we're very well versed and prepared for it because it's exactly according to how we envisioned it, how we are eating while cycling, how we are running along terrain, how we are drinking and grabbing cups through aid stations, how we are avoiding sugary junk foods, but instead eating healthier, more sustainable, better energy foods through our day. How we are running with light feet and a high cadence. How we are pedaling with good power connected to our pedal stroke throughout the circle. How we are swimming through water and feeling fast and feeling the water move by us, whether on our wetsuit or against our skin. How we see ourselves 
moving through transitions, how we see ourselves moving or hiking or steadily jogging up steep hills on the ultra run, how we see ourselves moving through a crew aid station in a hundred mile run. I mean, there's a, a, a thousand things that we can work our way through in the details of our day. And a lot of athletes ask me, well, you know, Chris, that would take me three, four, five hours to visualize it that detailed. No, but any type of situation or crossroads in your day is what you want to visualize. If you visualize one aid station of an Ironman marathon running, you can pretty much visualize the other, you know, 13. If you can visualize yourself running through an aid station or cruise station on a, on a hundred mile run, you, you get the idea on the other spots. But the difficult spots, the steep spots, the downhill spots, my quads are screaming and cramping. How am I going to, how do I see myself dealing with that? All those things. But then the, on that end of the spectrum are also athletes who haven't even thought about how their day will unfold. They have desired outcomes with regards to time or improvement, but they think that's just going to happen. It's just going to unfold in front of them. And it's such easy, low-hanging fruit to just organize your thoughts and organize your prep to have a better outcome. Here these athletes are on this end of the spectrum, training 12, 14, even up to 16 hours a week at times, making sacrifices in time, making sacrifices with regards to their personal lives and career and um, also the rest of their families with regards to not being there or shuffling things around. But yet when it comes to the event, to the improvement, to the desired outcome that basically everybody in your immediate circle has invested in as well because they felt the downstream effects of your training, you haven't even thought through your fueling and hydration. You haven't even thought through how you want the race to unfold in your mind. You haven't even thought through your pacing, your heart rates, your effort levels, how you want to see yourself running through separate loops or stages of the race. So, and I don't say this with regards to criticism. I say this because these are questions and these are conversations and this is communications and this is dialogue that should come up with your coach, whether it's me or anybody, or even with yourself that you prompt yourself. Six weeks out, I want to start writing out my first rough draft of the vision of my day. And I want to use that living document or that living um, communication. Some people record it. Some people just start six weeks out um, with some daily or multi-week, multi-days a week of um, closing their eyes and visualizing their race unfolding. Um, and continuing to work yourself through the ability to have your day, your day, whether you're going uh, you know, five and a half hours for a, for a marathon or seven hours for a half Ironman or four hours for a half Ironman, it doesn't matter on your ability. It matters that you just take yourself as an athlete because that's what an athlete does. Seriously. 
And I'm, like I said, on the other end of the spectrum, not too seriously, but at least um, going through the motions and preparing yourself so that you can realize your best possible outcome on event day. Again, most of us have not gotten to this point by doing nothing. We've gotten to this point because we have prepared. We have thought it through. We have trained. We have expressed a desired outcome. And when you express a desire and when you've done all these things, why would you not want to think through and prepare and have a plan, a rough plan, a draft at least, or a vision of how to have your own personal, for who you are, best possible day. Again, your best possible day might be seven hours for a half Ironman. It might be five hours for a marathon. It might be, you know, who knows? It might be your first 10K. But again, you've done work for it. You've sacrificed time for it. You've put emotional energy into it. So if you have those three components involved, take a, why not take the time and think through, well, okay, I've done all that already. What do I need to do to have the best possible outcome, not best possible day, best possible outcome on event day? I say these all with very um, specific words because best possible day creates a sense of sealing perfection. We're not always looking for perfection. We're looking for the best possible outcome given who we are, our training, our experience, our lead up, our personality even. A lot of us have a personality that might not be that um, intense or focused or um, result driven, which is totally fine. But again, if you've spent the time training, if you made the sacrifices, if you've had emotionally the investment because you did put forth this goal for yourself, then there's still that part of you that would like to see you do well, not with regards to result, but feeling well and seeing progress and seeing that the work and the time and the training and the sacrifices that you made, as well as emotions, are netting you positive outcomes, growth, forward progress, trending in the right direction and all those things. So again, really think through, am I preparing myself? Am I thinking through myself? Am I creating a vision and practicing that vision and updating and reapplying and readjusting that vision for my desired outcome? Whatever that is. I mean, you do it in, in the professional world with regards to if you're doing the public speaking engagement where you, you envision how it will go, you practice it, you might do it in front of some other people. Um, whether it's in working on projects, you have rough drafts, you think it through, you think it's always working towards the best possible outcome given the lead up and given what it means to you. So why would you not do that in your training? Why would you not have simulated and practiced your desired outcome with our training days? Why would you not have thought through and applied and practiced your paces? Or if you're on a two-loop run course, well, maybe, you know, think about how you want to do a two-loop run course off the bike uh, in training 
And no, it doesn't need to be the full distance, but you know, something that's shorter, but that you practice at the aspect of loops and pacing and outcomes and so forth. Again, I'm just surprised by it because so many athletes invest time, money, emotions, work, effort into their events. And then when it comes to the events, it's just sort of standing there at the starting line and saying, okay, let's just see how this unfolds. And that surprises me. That means, and I've said this before, you're not really an athlete, you're a participant. And many might say, well, all I want to be is a participant. But if you're just a participant, you're allowing the day to happen to you. You're reacting and seeing what will stick, what might happen. If you're an athlete, you're taking control of your day. You are thinking ahead how you want your day to unfold and you're preparing for that. That doesn't mean you take it more seriously or less seriously or you're too uptight or results-driven. No. If you're participating, you're reacting and the day's happening to you and you're just going to see how you uh, navigate that. Whereas your athletic mindset approach, being an athlete, is taking control of your day to the best of your ability, thinking it through, and, and taking action to see how you want your day to unfold. Epictetus wrote, Every habit and capability is confirmed and grows in its corresponding actions, walking by walking and running by running. Therefore, if you want to do something, make a habit of it. If you don't want to do that, don't, but make a habit of something else instead. The same principle is at work in our state of mind. When you get angry, you're not only experiencing that evil, but you've also reinforced a bad habit, adding fuel to the fire. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence is not an act, but a habit. So just as I was saying with regards to race prep and vision and so forth, this reading, as I would call it, comes at a perfect time because it is exactly that in how we prepare for events because we've trained it and because we've repeatedly done it. We've made it a habit on how we want our day to go. What that means is for some of my most experienced athletes, what they've done is they've written out how they want their Saturday morning race simulation to go days prior. And when they execute it and complete it and reach their desired outcome and intentions of that day, it reinforces how important pre-vision and prep and thinking it through and executing is and how it makes your day easier and your training more effective and more deliberate and allows you to adjust and improve and make smarter choices for next time and so forth. So come event day, come a race day, come something they've trained for for four years in some cases, Olympics, others to Kona for a once in a lifetime opportunity to um, achieving 
their desired outcomes with regards to being professionals in a trail running environment or U.S. Olympic marathon qualifying and so forth. The whole point here is because they've written it out, they've had a vision, and they've practiced seeing themselves do their day so many times, and they've successfully done it in practice and therefore created a habit around it, their ability to envision a successful day and actually ex execute that successful day um, immediately without much thought behind it because they've already experienced the day in their mind. They've already seen themselves do it. The body is just going through the same motions because of that habit. They are have a much, much higher likelihood and are almost guaranteed success, guaranteed good execution on race day, guaranteed good outcomes because they've already done it in their mind and they've practiced it enough. You have the ability every day to fuel your own habits, to lay out the day that you want to have and actually execute it. And the better you do that and the more you practice it, the more it becomes who you are. And you have very little difficulties in having the best possible outcomes at all times. And I'm not just talking training here. I'm envisioning your day and how you want it to unfold. And at the end of the day, analyzing why your day didn't unfold the way you wanted it. And therefore, then your vision for the next day being a better um, adjustment, a better um, plan, then allows you to continue to, lack of a better term right now, optimize your coming days. And the same thing in athletics. The same thing in your thought process on what you want to use your limited time for. Maximizing our limited training time. Having a plan, having a vision, having a desired outcome for that, for every session, and for sure every simulation, every bigger workout. It, it only saves you time. It only makes your training more effective, more deliberate, more focused, and you need less of it in order to still have the outcomes that you want. Okay, so then the usual question becomes, well, Chris, give me some tips, give me some ideas on how that might look with regards to a vision or how to adjust that vision or my plans at the end of a day in, in order to have a better next day, next training session, next overall day? Well, some key questions. How did my day go? How do I want it to go? What successes did I experience? Or what success do I want to experience today? What challenges did I endure today? Or if you're looking forward in your vision, what challenges do I expect to endure? especially when it comes to our training or especially racing or a larger picture with regards to our events, what challenges do I expect to endure? What difficulties will I go through? What things can go wrong? What do I expect to go wrong and how, I will, how will I um, respond to them? Um, more of that could be what did I learn today or what do I plan to learn today? 
right? If I'm going into a workout, what is my desired outcome? Why am I doing it? What do I see my, how do I see myself doing it? And how do I see myself learning and experiencing and feeling after that workout? Right? What did I learn about myself from that workout? Or what did I learn about myself today with the regards to my training or just in general? What do I plan to do differently or the same tomorrow? Or if I'm looking ahead uh, or, or if I'm looking back, sort of a post-mortem, what do I plan to do differently based off of what I did either incorrectly today or what didn't go as well as I wanted it to go today and so forth? Again, these questions of preparing yourself and looking back and being better prepared going forward, preparing a better vision so that your day, your training, your event, your race will go according to what you've already felt and experienced in your mind. And then, of course, from a coaching perspective, is there anyone I need to update ask a question, share feedback with, right? Uh, that would be your coach. What kind of questions do I want to ask? What kind of questions will I ask? Things like that. So hope that helps with regards to thinking through our past vision, our future vision, and continuing to create a vision and make it a habit of how your day will unfold, how the desired outcome that you have put out there many months ago in many cases can go to the best of your ability. All right, I have a few more, a variety of emails and a few more topics that I want to dive into because I've not only fallen behind in the podcast of getting back to athletes with their questions, but also sort of an update on where we are with regards to the season. It's August, um, my training, and so forth. So I'm going to dive right in here. One is I wanted to follow up with regards to that comment I made last week with um, we drink our drink and we eat our foods. And that thought process and that approach I should credit very clearly to Stacy Sims, the original founder of Osmo. And um, she no longer is an owner of Osmo. Um, she's moved on from that. And uh, a variety of investors bought Osmo off of her. But she taught me very early on, and she's a great exercise physiologist. She ran the Stanford Human Performance Lab for a few years as well as uh, Xterra, an Ironman athlete herself. So a good example of somebody who walks the walk and uh, talks the talk and really knows the science, but also the application of having been there and done that um, a few times. She worked with a variety of pro tour teams, including uh, personally with Peter Sagan and many at that level and at that caliber, not only in triathlon, but ultra running and pro cycling. So her approach is one I trusted very early on. It worked for me and it also was based on not only science and history and success, but it also allowed me to wrap my brain more around the approach. And that is I drink my fluids for fluids 
and for hydration and for replenishment of my fluids, of my fluid levels, to do everything in an exercise physiology standpoint, what fluids are supposed to do. And then I fuel myself with foods, with solids in most cases, best attempts to maintain solids for as long as I can. She taught me early on to adjust my stomach and my ability to absorb real foods, especially for ultra running, as long as I can. It will sustain me longer. It will increase the likelihood of a better stomach, of a stronger stomach, of less dehydration because a lot of fuel that we take in in the gels and chews as well as solids require hydration moisture from the on the cellular level in order to process it so technically eating and processing the calories requires and burns fluids so um, just the the science behind that as well as just keeping the logic of what our body needs as well as how it's optimized to work after, like I said, 100,000 years. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that this isn't just me making it up. This isn't just me based off of past experience. This isn't just me off of um, you know doing my own research. It's truly founded in science and um, somebody I really trust. So if you, in case you need more about that, you can always look up Stacy Sims um, online. Or if you need help with that, feel free to send me an email because um, I'm always glad to re refer her. She's now in um, Down Under. I think she's back in New Zealand, but she might be in Australia. Um, I'm not sure. So, um, And she's a, a family friend as well because my ex-wife helped her with her child when she was born and so forth. So <laughs> close relationships. Anyway, um, Next, uh, I received a question about what's going on with my swim podcast series. I know I owe you all this. Um, swimming is a big topic for many triathletes, um, many open water swimmers, many people who just want to take on the challenge of marathon swimming in general um, from many of you who listen to this podcast. And so I realized that I do still need to follow up on that and dive into the details of swimming, which I can talk about for hours and hours on end. But the reason I have not yet is because I am trying to get footage and video and um, good visual help that I can post on my website in order to clarify, visually explain, highlight the things that I want to do on the podcast with regards to swimming. Because it's really important not just to describe it in words, but also for many of you, you learn better by seeing as well as hearing, combining the two, and then really putting it forth in the, in the water and then coming back to the website and maybe um, adjusting or comparing your own video footage to the footage that I have on the website and so forth. So um, before I just put um, knowledge out there with regards to spoken word, that is an area I would really like to follow up with some video and some instruction. It might not even be video, it just might even be um, um, drawings and caricatures and so forth in order to just highlight that. But I will say for all of you that um, do want swim help and, and really learn best by seeing, I absolutely trust and support and really like the Swim Smooth 
um, website, and that is um, uh, swimsmooth.com, I'm pretty sure. Um, but my point here is that I have not forgotten about the uh, the swim podcast, and I will eventually get to it once I can get all that video footage on there. And by the way, I want to do the same thing with cycling and running and having just some best practices and some really good running form on the website. And that's not necessarily because I believe everybody needs to run a certain way. I'm not a person who believes um, that we all need to run a certain way. Um, I feel that there's efficiencies in our running gait that we've created over years and years of running, and that's just how we run. And I'd rather focus, again, we have limited training time, trying to maximize our limited training time and continue to develop you as the athlete going forward, not looking for perfection, but gradual development, getting you more efficient, more economical, and ideally faster at the same energy use with the minimum training time, the maximum use of that limited training time. So um, subtle adjustments can always be made and little form adjustments or tips or highlights to help. But again, for us as masters athletes to focus too much on what we could perfectly run as or look like or get that form and posture so perfect, I don't think that's the best use of our time. We all went pro in something other than these sports. So, yes, swimsmooth.com. Um, really, really like those guys. Anyway, um, I think it's Paul Newsom, if I if I remember correctly. So, um, yes, that's that topic. Also, uh, I received a question. Let me go into the next one here. Uh I'm wondering for a podcast topic, what you are doing differently this go around of Attilo training versus last year when you did it with Rich? Um, this is a good question. So, uh, and I've received a few emails regarding that. And I just actually got back from Lake Tahoe this weekend for another mini training camp slash um, time to practice with my partner. So um, it's fresh in front of me. Um, once again, I did a, a long swim run day with him, in this case, on Friday, where we, uh, we swam 2.5 miles, then we ran 7 miles, then we swam 1.1 miles, basically the long of uh, Attila, 1.1 miles, then we ran 3 miles, then we swam 1 mile, then we ran 6 miles, then we swam 1 mile, then we ran 2 miles. So a total of, uh, it was a little bit over 5.7 miles of swimming, open water, of course, lake swimming in this case, and uh, about 18, not about, it was 18 miles of running. So a good sample, again, of what we'll be going through endurance-wise of the day, as well as the transitions from swim to run and what muscle groups and logistics to go through. Then we followed that up the next day. I wanted to see how he's doing with his longer endurance running and his footwork and so forth. Um, we ran about a little bit over two hours up on the Pacific Crest Trail at the top of Donner at about 7,000 to 8,000 feet, which was great for not only the altitude effect, but beautiful on the crest 
overlooking the lakes and seeing Lake Tahoe in the background. Um, it is a little smoky up there. A lot of fires, again, as you all heard last week with, um, with this area. And so luckily for our training, it was fine. And uh, it, it got a little um, more severe in the afternoons, but we were done. So the following day, we ran um, uh, 14 miles up on the crest. And in before that, we had swum another two miles in the morning. So, uh, so back to the question, what would I do differently? So there's two parts to that. One, I honestly don't know more about the race than I did before. I know from last year what the race looks like. I know what the course looks like. I know what the swims are like. I know what the conditions in a worst case scenario could be like. I know what the runs and the terrain is like. But I don't know necessarily what the difficulties are further into our day than what I knew two years ago. Now, of course, knowing the course and the day and the transitions and the um, swims and runs and terrain and so forth, that's helped in my prep for this year. But um, I'm not sure I know from an endurance standpoint and from a late in the day prep standpoint what I need to do differently because um, we were not going quite um, at an effort that required that much endurance uh, when Rich and I did it because of his cramping and his other issues that day. So that's why I'm somewhat in the dark with regards to that. Um, but secondly, what would I do different is what I am doing different, and that is not overcomplicating the training. Um, yes, it is a 10-hour day, but I found that the transitions were less complicated than I had anticipated. Um, again, we weren't in a rush anymore as of probably the second or third transition, so therefore, I don't know how that accumulates later on in the race, and that's going to be new to me again. But I found even the first few transitions and moving in and out of the water into it with regards to shoes, paddles, gear, and stuff, and out with regards to shoes, climbing, gear, and stuff was not as uh, difficult as I thought. Um, with regards to... Um, the gear, the, the pull boys, the swimming with shoes, swimming with paddles, the distances, the length of time in shoes, in the wetsuit, with a cap and goggles on your head while running, um, how the paddle straps feel on the body, how the body withstands later on, that's, that all felt fine. Nothing too much different than any type of ultra event. Um, nothing different than what an, a marathon feels like late in an Ironman and not necessarily because you're biking prior, but just because you have accumulated fatigue, you're six, seven hours into your day and you still need to run effectively um, with form, posture, bounce, light feet and a responsiveness to your feet so that they can take in the terrain as well as the turnover that you're doing. Um, so nothing dramatically different there. Um, from an aid station perspective and a fueling and hydration perspective, it all seems pretty um, manageable. Again, nothing too complicated. So that's the second point. Um, I'm not that intimidated by the swim, run, 
transition slash gear this time. I, I, I'm not overthinking that. And I did that this weekend with regards to the training. I said to my partner there, I was like, listen, if we have the wetsuits, as in the, the proper swim run suits, and you feel comfortable in your shoes and paddles, and we have the swim fitness and the run fitness, you know, it, it's not that difficult from a transition standpoint. Now, thirdly, truly different is understanding the footing and the terrain early on, especially at Attilo. I find that the strategy that we need to employ, as well as understanding the the rocks and the climbing out of the water and the moving back to the trail from the water where it's rocky and you're climbing and you're on all fours and paddles on your hands, as well as fast footing, staying light on your feet, as in not slipping and missing footwork uh, spots so that you roll your ankle or hurt yourself because those are some serious rocks. Um, yes, that is something that I would have, I have changed this year with regards to lateral strength, with regards to ability of fast feet, especially downhill. Um, not that you're running that much downhill at Attilo, but again, strengthening your foot and your lower chassis, um, knees, joints, ankles, um, hips, so that you're able to withstand that fast footing, uneven terrain in order to then quickly settle into steady running. Um, that I would, I have incorporated more. The other thing is, I will be quite honest with you because with you as if there's just one person I'm talking to. Um, but that's actually how I talk a lot on this podcast as if somebody's just sitting across these, uh, this microphone from me or on the other end of the can I'm talking into via string. Um, the other thing that I will say is that, uh, because the single track or the narrowness of the trail, um, and the course, backs up your ability to go harder early on and therefore allowing space as well as your own rhythm to the race to to unfold better is um is probably a smart strategy not that we're able to do that but i can see how some of the elite groups elite swim runners up front that are going for the record quickly need to jump ahead so that they have empty trails, empty transitions to maximize those time, that time because you get behind too many people a couple of times at a couple of narrow transitions, either into the water or out of the water or at aid stations or at narrow spots where the, the, the course is almost like a single track and it's got obstacles or tightness or drop-offs on both sides. That I would see very much as being part of the front of the race strategy. Um, so I think that would answer what I'm doing differently this go around um, of Attilo training. Now, mainly last year with Rich, I, uh, Rich, I uh, focused on endurance for late in the race um, with regard to that half marathon that is very late in the race and and you're almost you know six seven eight hours in when you when you finally run that but again because of the way the course is laid out and the aid stations um, it's not quite as uh, 
steady of a half marathon that I thought it would be. So um, it's more about four or five mile stretches at a time running, and then you have an aid station, or then you have a swim, or um, then the course goes from pavement to trail, and so you're running a bit differently anyway. So um, yeah, uh, that's, that's about what I would do differently when it comes to that. Another question I received recently in the meantime, I would appreciate your take on Joel Friel's perspective, re-necessity for the older athletes, 50 plus, to include high-intensity training in their program throughout the season to help lessen the decline of their aerobic capacity slash VO2 max each year. And then there's a uh, Training Peaks blog attached to this fast after 50 high-intensity interval training and the aging athlete. Of course, this could be well aligned with the general 80-20 principles approach when combined with zone two focused work. Um, that's from Steve. Now, I'll be honest with you, I did not click on the link. Um, as you all know from past podcasts, I don't really pay attention to all the blogs and industry specific writing and so forth. Um, now, I respect Joel Friel a lot and his approach and, you know, He's had a lot of success with a lot of different athletes and many generations of athletes. But to shoot from the hip on this topic um, is that I coach a variety of athletes that are 50 plus, 60 plus, even 70 plus. Um, um, One of my proudest achievements is taking a 70 plus year old Tacona um, for the first time and then him doing quite well in his age group as a 76-year-old. Yes, the 75 to 79 age group was his for the taking. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, to answer the question specifically, sorry for rambling, is the older the athlete, especially 50 plus, 60s, you have to go about the training completely different. Um, Again, but it falls back to the general principles of Um, coaching and training, listening to the athlete, knowing what the athlete needs, seeing how they're responding to the training, seeing what they can absorb, seeing what their cycle of training, adaptation, absorbing, plus rest works, right? Stress plus rest. So um, I typically see that four, five days, three, four days only works the older the athlete gets, and then they require lighter, more recovery days. I fully agree with the general notion, um, and I think this is what probably Joe Friel will be talking about on this, is you need to up the intensity, um, less 80-20 actually, but more um, 60-40 with regards to the aging, the aging athlete. I'm 50 next year, um, so I can't really compare that, call that the aging athlete. Um, But to be more specific, um, increase the high intensity interval training, yes, but again, requiring more rest, but when they're training, really kicking up um, the effort, the higher end zones more frequently, more recovery, less zone two, But again, that depends. The athlete might be getting ready for an Ironman or an ultra-distance run or an ultra-distance adventure. They still need the ultra-distance work, still need the zone two work, 
well, what is that relative to the distance they're doing, what they're able to absorb, how much high intensity is really having a stimulus. Um, again, for everybody to know, this is why I test people. You know, it's the more lab time I have with them, and what I mean by that is four tests a year, once a quarter, the more I can see the training is working for them, right? I have an athlete, she's going to Kona, 55 to 59 age group. I train her, I've trained her for many years now, but I train her somewhat differently now, yeah, but she also has a variety of other stresses going on in her life. Um, she's doing a major move, um, and you know, so of course, there's other stresses going on in life. So therefore, I already know that the, the accumulation of stress and fatigue from other aspects in her life, she just wants to turn off her brain when she trains and allow her body to pull back to sort of an exhale. Oh, this feels so good just going out for a long run, just going out for a long ride, just turning my brain off and swimming, right? Do we have time for high intensity work? Sure, but if she's already in a stressful situation, a move, uh, liquidating her life and um, liquid, yeah, truly liquidating her life here in the Bay Area and moving on, um, that's all a lot of other things going on. So, and then in the middle of her day or at the beginning of her day, asking her to do these high intensity intervals as well, no that her body will not absorb that very well. So instead, what's our desired outcome? Well, let's get through this phase of life, this two, three months of move and stress and overload and overwhelming and stress of um, the move, stress on relationships, stress on moving to the new place, stress on friendships, stress on everything and emotions, right? You're leaving. So in her case, it's about, all right, let's just get you through these next few months. Let's get you through this phase. You're still connected to your training. You're still cycling. You're still running. You're still swimming. And then once you're at your new location, we gradually up the training and the stresses from a physical standpoint versus a life stress point, right? And so that will make her successful for Kona. I'm not, it is what it is. We can only use what we have in front of us and her life for who she is now. And that's the big thing to keep in mind with any athlete that you're training. We can only as coaches work and develop the athlete for who they are now. And sure, we have a long-term plan of and, and desired outcomes of where they want to go, but life gets in the way and it doesn't work as nicely as it is on paper. Um, that's why we're not children anymore. That's why we're not in high school or college athletes anymore, where the structure is so much more controlled and you can tell an athlete exactly what to do in the morning and in the evening and they'll get it done. Well, we, we don't live that way. It, it doesn't work that way with life and family and work and children and schedules and all that. So therefore, it's about how do we, again, maximize that limited training time or maximize who we are in the now with a bigger picture in mind of where we want to go and how do we develop that in a healthy, sustainable, achievable, um, enjoyable fashion, right? If you're not enjoying it, you're not going to continue it. If you're not able to sustain it because you're full of injuries or you have niggles or you don't feel good doing it, you're not going to 
um, achieve your desired outcomes. If you're not healthy or able to consistently train day after day because you drove yourself into the ground because of too many stresses um, or too much um, stress from the physical aspect or even from lifestyle, you're not going to stay in it. So it's about navigating all that in order to have a long-term trending growth, um, improvement, achieving our desired outcomes. So I didn't go into the exercise specific aspects of this question, but high level, yes, Steve, you do need more intensity as we get older, um, less training hours and balancing those out um, better. But again, it's it's for, for anybody to say in general, this is what a, a bigger group of people need. It's a dangerous game to play because we're all different and I don't I don't like that. Um, now, in general, a lot of the concepts do apply, but any good coach needs to listen, needs to incorporate the person's, the athlete's life, the athlete's family, the athlete's career, the athlete's future, the athlete's consistency, the athlete's desired outcomes, short-term and long-term, the athlete's history, right? What kind of history does this athlete have if they have no experience with high intensity and they're 50 plus, but they don't have any basis or platform for where they're going with regards to endurance? Well, then that does us no good. Um, it depends on what the athlete is getting ready for and all that. So sorry to be vague, but that's just the standard response with any type of training question. And in general, that last question ties into a practice that we can all apply in our training every week, every phase, every as soon as you see the training in front of you. And so what I mean by that is we all get a couple weeks or days of training in front of us um, from our coach, many of you from me, and then we look to integrate that into our lives, into our schedule, into our travel, into our career, family, social obligations, children, and so forth. And as you sort of put those puzzle pieces into place, whether with me, your coach, to ensure that that week is still optimized once you've moved things around, or as you look to plan your week ahead and you look at your week ahead, you want to consider there's two key concepts here in the training and the coaching focus um, that you want to pull out of it, uh, not just in, in what I'm prescribing. One is you want to definitely have an opportunity each week to have that deliberate focused training, right? Deliberate training, deliberate practice is part of what makes us um, not only maximize our limited training time, but also makes us experts in the field that we're trying to become experts in, which means over the general population, we have accumulated more knowledge and more application and more deliberate practice than the others to make us experts. Sort of um, a uh, gray description of the 10,000 hours, right? Um, a lot of research and a lot of discussion and a lot of understanding has grown from that, from Dr. Erickson's research of that actually Malcolm Gladwell's approach of 10,000 hours was way too vague and way too generalized. And it's been more clarified that those 10,000 hours of 
deliberate practice of focused outcomes, of specific training, right? That's what creates the world-class competitor, um, artist, um, performer, and so forth. But I don't want to go too far into that rabbit hole um, and create too much controversy around that. But um, you all have an opportunity every week to look at which of these workouts are, am I the athlete? And that's what I do with my training. Which of these workouts in this week ahead or in this two weeks are truly going to be deliberate training? Uh, focused outcomes where I'm going to practice swim run, right? Um, multiple back and forth, where I'm going to practice my triathlon bike to run, having both being really effective. And deliberate training might be a component of that workout or that grouping of the day. For example, I give athletes a three-hour bike ride whereby the last hour has some intervals or is at a certain wattage or a certain heart rate or just on feel at a certain effort. I call it on, right? You're going pretty hard that last hour into a quick transition run of, let's say, 30 minutes, 10 minutes easy, 10 minutes fast, 10 minutes easy, or 10 minutes fast, 10 minutes easy, 10 minutes fast, um, or per certain paces, you know, um, 10 minutes easy, 10 minutes at 20 seconds faster than goal pace, five minutes at one minute faster than goal pace, and five minutes easy, or whatever that is. So you can see out of this four and a half hour workout or three and a half hour workout, three hours of cycling and 30 minutes of running, only an hour on the bike, the last hour with intervals and work and focused outcomes, as well as the run, 30 minutes, is the desired outcome where we can truly specifically have deliberate training and really turn the brain on and really focus on maximizing that training effect and training outcome. And it's a simulation, right? The more simulations, the more deliberate training we get in under our belt, the better it moves almost to our subconscious, the better we're able to execute um, without too much cognitive um, energy needed on race day on event day, on adventure day. And that's what simulations are. They're helping us really um, incorporate and really rehearse and really repeat and really um, get very proficient at uh, race-specific, event-specific outcomes. And then there's a second component to our training, and that is the, um, the volume, the fatigue, what I would call the residual, well, not I call, it's in exercise physiology called the residual bout effect, RBE. And in residual, residual bout effect, when you're doing RBE training, it's not necessarily for deliberate training. It's not for um, high level um, intense practice. It's more to create the proper fatigue for the week so that we're gaining endurance and fitness in a very gradual and low intensity zone two way. And the only reason, and many of you have heard this from me before, the only reason we're fatiguing is because of the residual bout effect, repeated low intensity volume that eventually makes us tired. Not the individual workout, but the repeated workouts day after day, many days in a row. Now insert deliberate training in there and you're really mixing up 
the stimuluses, the outcomes, the effects, right? You're getting a little bit of simulation, you're getting a little bit of deliberate practice, focus practice, and then you're intermingling that with RBE training with residual bout effect and gradual growth in zone two aerobic platform foundation base fitness that we talk about. So I say all this because you want to look at your week and understand what your outcomes are for the training. Is this an RBE workout or is this a deliberate training workout? Is this an RBE workout with some deliberate training built in? And how do I want to execute that best? How am I going to create a vision for that proper outcome? How am the night before am I envisioning that last hour on the bike to go and that great transition run? How am I going to feel? What is my posture going to look like? Um, how do I see myself running? What paces would I like to hold? What will it feel like? If I start going overboard, how do I pull myself back? I don't need to go that hard, that deep. I don't need to prove anything to myself by all of a sudden doing a running pace that is unrealistic in a race, but I feel good today and I just want to push it. No, that's not the desired outcome. I'm going to keep my um, emotions in check and my body and outcome in check in order to do the training as I had envisioned it. I'm not going beyond that. I'm not creating new outcomes. How am I going to fuel? How am I going to hydrate? How am I going to feel that last? hour on the bike. Even if I am tired and I'm not motivated to do it, how will I overcome and still execute the training as desired? How easy do I need to do the first two hours on the bike in order to successfully do that last hour and a half of deliberate training? There's a hundred questions in there on how to successfully have the outcomes that we want to have. And that takes practice in order to build that habit, those visions, like I talked about earlier in this podcast, all that, that's training. Now we're talking training versus exercising. Now we're talking training versus just going out there and doing it. And you might say, well, for the RBE workouts, for the residual bout effect, for just the accumulation of volume, what? how do you go about it there? Well, that's the beauty. That's the reward. Now I just get to go out and go easier. And because I'm going easier, I get to focus on form, footwork, cadence, posture, technique, pedal stroke, swim stroke, distance per stroke, bounce, footwork, push off, how my feet are landing, how I'm running across terrain, all those things, how I'm breathing, my posture on the bike, how's my aero position, How's my extension in my freestyle? Am I close to catch up? Am I pulling all the way through? Am I dropping my elbow? <laughs> There's a zillion things to still think of even when we're going easy. So there's plenty of work and focus and training and paying attention and deliberate aspects to all parts of our training week. So look at your week ahead. Make notes of what I would like to see. Many of you in Training Peaks see that pre-comment area. Maybe you write some thoughts in there. I see them as your coach because it automatically comes to me, but that'd be great. I'd love to see what you're thinking of prior to this workout, what your desired outcomes for this week are. Um, I have a few athletes, not many, but a few that actually send me uh, a pre-week prep where they say, thanks for putting up the week or the next two weeks. I see a couple of key workouts. Here are my desired outcomes. Here's what I would like to look at, feel like, what I want the outcome to look like when I'm done. That is thinking ahead. And most of the time, they're executing that workout really well 
and they feel really good afterwards on having done it like that. It takes a little extra work. I understand that. And not every workout needs to be like that or every training phase needs to be like that. But as you start getting closer to your A event and start thinking more and more about, wait, what is, why am I getting coaching? Why do I want, what do I want out of this? That's a great example of how you're really diving into vision, habit, deliberate outcomes, deliberate training, understanding why we're doing what we're doing. And guess what? If you send me that and I see that you're actually planning something that's different than the way I had planned it, there it is. Coach-athlete communication and relationship allows me to say, no, 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 you have that misunderstood. I actually want it to be like this and hit these numbers or the desired outcome was this. Your paces are a bit too fast and therefore that's going to compromise that next workout or later in that workout, your ability to do those intervals effectively. That's training. That's coaching, right? Now we're maximizing the training outcomes and the training hours that we have planned for the week ahead. So another piece of coaching and what goes into it and how this all works, but Again, that is, that's what this podcast is about. In order for you to have the best possible outcomes with your training and achieve your uh, desired outcomes with regards to ultra endurance events and adventures and all that. And, and my job as a coach is to develop you to achieve that. That you're learning it, seeing it, understanding it and why and realizing that we're all different and that yes, this requires a lot of not necessarily thinking and consuming time for you, but it requires you to pay attention and be part of the process. I can only develop you as an athlete and partially therefore rolls into developing you as a human being. If we have this back and forth of knowing where we're going, why we're we doing it, what the purpose is, and then you actually going out and executing it. Because no strategy, no roadmap, no training plan in the world is effective if you're not executing it. If you're not out there executing it to the best of your ability, but just as designed, right? And even in the business world, there's some great strategies and some great big picture plans, visions, all that out there. But if the team, the employee, the department, um, the company isn't executing upon that vision, upon that out desired strategy, doesn't matter. That strategy looks great on paper, but you need leaders and people and teams to actually execute that strategy. And the same thing for you, whether it's on race day or in your training, because that's a roadmap, you have to execute it. And execution is a big part of why coaches are there to help you with it. Anybody can write the, the map the training plan, I can pull that off the internet, but helping you execute that plan and see and help you see what you're learning and, and growing with by executing the plan better and better and better and better and growing and growing and growing from it and getting fitter and stronger and smarter and better because of executing the plan. That's the layer upon layer upon layer that not only will take the fitness but then your ability to properly execute in on race day and that pushes performance forward big time because 
Nothing feels worse on race day or on event day or in your adventure where you know you have the fitness, but you're questioning your ability to execute on race day. That stinks, right? Like, because you, you can't change fitness on race day. What can you change? Your ability to execute. Will you execute or will you not execute, right? So, again, I hope that helps. All right, I think that'll be it for this week on the Weekly Word Podcast, episode 80. Well, really getting up there in the numbers. I wanted to thank you all for continuing to listen. Um, I have a pretty steady number of listeners um, with regards to the podcast. Um, and I really, really appreciate all of you with regards to the feedback that you give me, the emails that you send for topics, the appreciation. I would say there's a not a week that goes by without getting five or ten emails of many of you doing your first event or having successfully applied some of the concepts that I talk about in the podcast. You might have your own coach, but you also listen to this with regards to getting more insight and more prepared for your event, for your adventure. And so I always appreciate those. It makes me quite honestly, feel really good to hear that the words that I'm talking into this can <laughs> with a string on the other end um, is having an impact. I mean, I love talking about this stuff anyway and helping clarify so many things for my athletes. I would say every single one of my, nah, not every single one of my athletes, um, but most of my athletes um, thank me and appreciate that I do the podcast because it clarifies and puts so much um, more sense into their training than what I communicate on email or just in the training plans. In general, the feedback over many, many years, and one of the reasons I started this podcast was that my tone in email as well as in the training logs is very terse or short or brief or impatient, and um, it's not intended to come across like that at all, but all my athletes always say, you know, when we talk to you in person or on the phone or hear you in the podcast, it, it creates a completely different perspective or image of who you are, and we can incorporate the training differently than sometimes the briefness or the shortness that I answer a lot of texts or emails um, with. And that's the intention there is just to answer the questions that I get and not a lot of fluff around it so that you, the athlete, can take that and just go out and execute. Um, so that's part of that. And again, having uh, an opportunity to help you achieve things that you never thought you would achieve, um, to, to, to be better today than you thought you would not get to with regards to being better um, than many days ago or many weeks ago, that is a great feeling. And if in any way, whether through my coaching or through this podcast, I can help you become the best you've ever been relative to you, of course, that's what we all look for. Just be our best relative to ourself um, more than you ever thought you could be. That is an amazing outcome. And if that works for just one of you, um, I feel very fulfilled knowing that we've achieved something together. So 
that's the podcast and that's why I do it. Make sure I thank all of you properly because I really do appreciate um, that you all listen as well as I appreciate the opportunity to talk to all of you and explain all of this to many of you. It helps me. It makes me a better coach. It makes me a better person by being able to talk and explain things every week in a way that many people understand very well. So thank you and have a great week, everybody. It's going to be episode 81 next. Thanks.